of Ephesians, the Pauline epistle uh, to the Ephesians. You have the Gospels, of course, Acts, Romans, and Corinthians in there. Then you have Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I've been praying about where to go this whole week and, and, and really even, even more than that. And uh, I wanted to be in the book of Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew. And even as late as probably yesterday, I thought we might still be in the book of Matthew. There in Matthew 23, um, the Lord was working on, on my heart there, going through the woes, if you will, uh, Jesus' woes to the Pharisees. And uh, we may get that next week. Uh, but today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, as you turn there, I'd like to say, uh, again, from us, from my family, my, my wife and I, that we're thrilled to be back. Uh, and I'm thankful for the Lord's grace. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for all those who filled in in my absence. And it's just, uh, again, a blessing to be back here. It's much colder here than where we came from. Um, but um, it, is, it is still a blessing to be back. My wife absolutely loves the snow. Um, she, she really does. I don't understand it. The only exercise she enjoys is, is moving snow, which I very much appreciate. Um, so every time it snows and she's thrilled to go out there and move some snow, but we've got some workhorses with us, um, and helped us move the snow this year. And, uh, we're very, very thankful for that. And I see some of the windows open. This one's cracked. If it's too hot, turn, feel free to turn those heaters off and crack some more windows. Uh, but it is good to be back. And, um, I talked about maybe going to Matthew 23 and, I think one of the reasons that we are here is because this is what what I needed, I think, here in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, with that said, let's uh, let's see what the Lord has for us in this passage. And if you're willing and and, and able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're going to begin right there at verse number 1 in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Verse 5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath, uh, which he hath purposed in Himself. Verse 10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Unto the praise of His glory. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You this morning, and we thank You for the opportunity, Lord, for us to gather uh, in one place, Lord, to worship You. 
to hear from your word, to, to meet with you, to, uh, to just see you high and lifted up as we, as we learned in Sunday school. To, we want to extol you this morning. We want to see you lifted up in our hearts and our minds, Lord, not just individually, but together, collectively as a church, Lord. Be with us and do what only you can do. Meet with us in a very special way. Let us know that you're here w- with us. And when we leave here, Lord, let us be encouraged that we know for sure that we've been among the Holy Spirit. We have been among the brethren this morning as we see you uh, lifted up, as we worship you, Lord. Be with the children across the way, Lord, and be with all of us this morning. Help us to just ignore the agendas that are, that are, that are on, uh, on our minds and on our calendars, Lord, for a moment. Maybe even forget the morning prior to this, Lord, and help us just to focus on you this morning. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, please be seated. You know, there's a lot going on in the world this morning. There's a lot going on in the world if you look at the news. Um, and I think it's easy to, to if, you, if you watch the news, I, I'm, I don't watch the news a whole lot, and, and maybe that has to do with something, us being over here. Uh, but many times you look at the news, and if you watch it too much, you, you might get a little discouraged because there's a lot of things going on. Uh, and, and, and quite honestly, there's a lot of things going on in my life. Um, we shared some uh, things with the other Inslees as they're here, Lord, uh, here with us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you hear all the time about people becoming grandparents, but you never really think of yourself as a, as a grandparent. It even sounds like an old title, um, but whatever. It, it, it's something we get used to, I guess. Um, but it's, it's, it is difficult to ponder. Um, when we first moved over here, we had two of our children come with us out of our three, and we got to be a part of that as we, as we came to minister in this, in this setting here. And then, as, you, as many of you all know, they all moved away, and we're, it's just us. And then we go back to see them, and now there's a grandchild. So it's, it's difficult for us and uh, for Kiki and I sometimes to ponder having, having, a, having our children and then grandchildren grow up, really, an ocean away and a world away sometimes, and that's a strong pull, and that's something that uh, we, we take to the Lord quite often. Um, but even, even more than that, if you just take it away from me, because it's not certainly about me, uh, the world itself today seems to be sitting on a powder keg, right? We look at this, and we look at that, and there's all kinds of things going on. And uh, if you look at some of the countries, and if you just change some of the names and, and, and so forth, it looks like maybe the world in 1914 or the world in, in 1939. There's a lot of things going on in this world from political turmoil to terrorism around the world in places that terrorism has never been. It's a bit much to take in. And for us as Christians, I think, I hope if we're honest with ourselves, we can say that we just want a revival. We want it to be, we want the good times to come back, if you will, spiritually speaking. And not just in our homes, and not just in this church, but across the community. And maybe, maybe even across the world, we want to see a revival that, that sees souls saved. I mean, it's, it's difficult to go so long and not hear of a, of a soul being saved, or, or a young person being baptized, or somebody that's come to Christ being baptized. And it's, it's difficult to go sometimes very long without seeing a resurgence of maybe uh, revival for the things of God, of morals and godliness. We want to. We want that, right? But we can also be honest on the other side of that. Most of us probably don't believe that it's coming. We don't believe in revival. We see the things in the world, and we, and we, and we pull some of those, those negative verses from the Bible, and we're like, well, it's just supposed to be that way, and I guess revival's not going to happen. And we just look at the world like, well, we want revival, but it's not going to happen. 
And maybe we come to the conclusion that the best days for us as a family or as a church or as a country or as a world, maybe the best days are behind us. Maybe the best days were five years ago when all my children were here. You know, maybe the best days were when you were young and on fire and just saved. Maybe those were the good days. Maybe they were 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. You know, I've shared this, this excerpt here before, but I'm going to share it again. <clears throat> a, few, a, a, few, a few years ago, a preacher once said um, that some of us can remember a time when the churches were beautiful in their glory, where many, many were converted and many willingly declared what God had done for them without even being asked. We remember that folks were added to the churches daily as should be saved, but today... Still quoting this preacher here, today it seems that true conversions have become rare. We even look into many pulpits and we don't see the glory that was once in those pulpits. Continuing on with this preacher's words, he says, The special design of God's providence seems to be now over. God's glory is gone. You know, for us here at Home Baptist Church, we often think, Sometimes we think that our future is dim at best when we look at the news and we think about all the good times we had spiritually or, or things related to family and so, so forth. But never forget that God has promised that the church will prevail. As the, as the country goes, it's not necessarily how the church goes. God has promised that the church will prevail. Our future is as bright, truly, as that tomb is empty. The words that I read earlier from that American preacher, I paraphrase some of those things, but it's from a sermon that he preached, get this now, in the year 1702. 1702. More than a half a century before Thomas Jefferson signed the U.S. Constitution. And look at the things that he said, all those things are gone. But look at what happened since then. Many, many souls have been saved since 1702. We've had revivals in the world that have shooken, that have shook nations. God's providence is most definitely not over, and His glory is not gone. My point is that God is not finished with us. God is not finished. So don't be, don't be sidetracked by the news. Don't be sidetracked by anything that's going on in your life. God is not finished with us. He's not finished with this church. He's not finished with any church, and He's not finished with you personally. And even though God chooses to operate through us, He can operate independently, mind you, but He does choose to operate through us. Praise God. God operates through those who put him first. And I think two of the primary ways we put him first, there are many, that we're going to speak here tonight from Ephesians, or this morning here, uh, is through praise and worship. That's, that's a theme in this chapter here, the first, part of these, uh, this, the first part of this chapter, praise and worship. Now, there are many things in this chapter, even in the verses that I just read, that we will not get into. There is, this is actually a very in-depth chapter. But in its simplest form, I want to tell you that worship is really to obey, to bow down our will to God's. To praise, however, it means to express respect. It means to express gratitude, to admire, to applaud, to speak highly of. We are to praise God, to lift up, to extol, to adore, to venerate. You know, the very last verse of the, of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150, verse 6, you probably have, many of us probably have that memorized. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything that hath breath. 
In fact, that whole chapter there, if not the whole book of Psalms, is about praise, admiring God. So today I want to talk this morning a little bit about praising God. But not so much the act of praising God, but why we should praise God. Some reasons for praising God. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians chapter 1 again. The Bible says, Having predestinated unto us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice that next phrase there, to the praise of his glory. That phrase is actually used a couple times already. Um, and We've already read that. But a couple times in this chapter we see that phrase, to the praise of his glory. So I, I, I used that. I took liberty there and named our sermon this morning to the praise of his glory. But look right there in those verses again. The first thing that we see is that we are adopted to the praise of his glory. We are adopted into the praise of his glory. You know, adoption is a very unique thing, right? Adoption is a very unique thing. It's one of, I think, it's one of the greatest concepts found in humanity. It is choosing to love someone who is not even a part of your family and then bringing them into your family. It's quite Christ-like. It's quite God-like. People adopt now for many reasons today, some because they cannot have children, some because they want more children, and some just because they love children. Not to say that the other didn't love the children. But all of those reasons and more are really noble and they're honorable. And every one of them includes some level of a love that is generally above and beyond what is expected of us. But when it comes to our adoption into the family of God, the love required for this adoption is quite amazing. We know us, and even more, God knows us, and he chooses to adopt us. Many times when a, when a family goes into an adoption facility and they, and they adopt those, those young children, they, they don't know how they're going to turn out. Well, I would say many times, all the time. You don't know how they're going to turn out. God knows how it will turn out. And his love, the love required for our adoption into the, into the family of God is truly nothing short of agape love, a love beyond comprehension. God set out, to, set out to adopt us even though we were not worthy to be adopted. He, he chose to adopt us when we were content in our sin. When we were yet sinners, on a, with, a, with a death sentence, he commends his love towards us and gives us an opportunity for adoption. But because he is also a holy God, he could not just bring anybody into his family, right? We understand that. As Christians, we are adopted into God's family without, for sure, but it's not without Jesus Christ. He is the key to our adoption. Notice verse 5 again. It says, We were predestined unto the adoption by Jesus Christ to himself. In other words, there's no adoption without Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that verse. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. He is the door to to adoption into the family of God. So unlike any earthly adoption, as noble as that might be, where siblings are not involved, Jesus trades places with us in a sense. As the child of God, he kind of trades places with us. Jesus, in a way, kind of orphaned himself for a moment so that we could be adopted into his family. Notice that before Paul mentions adoption, though, he states in verse 4 that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, that only happens through the cross. So by Jesus becoming man, by Jesus becoming our sin, 
He was forsaken on the cross so that we would not have to be forsaken. He experienced death and separation to give us eternal life, to give us life. But as we talked about uh, many times as we, as we approach this, kinda, this, kinda, this concept of salvation, the chains of death and the chains of separation, they could not hold Jesus Christ. He came out of that tomb, praise God. He endured the humility, the beatings, the crucifixion, all of that, but he still walked out of that grave. And all of that, the Bible says here, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Praise God for the cross. Praise God for Christ. Praise God for our adoption. Again, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. But before we move on from this idea of adoption, I want to point out some things here. I want to reemphasize the fact that it is believers who are predestined to adoption. I'm not going to get all wrapped up in the elect and all all those things here this morning, but this text tells us that it is the believers that are predestined um, to be adopted. In other words, predestination has to do with what God has ordained, and predestination refers to a purpose. It refers to an event or a status. Believers, not unbelievers, are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in Romans 8.29. So believers are predestined to an inheritance, which we'll talk about next. And believers are predestined to an adoption. Christ, and it's all because of Christ. Christ was predestined to the cross so that we can be predestined to be adopted. I say all that to say this. Unlike, again, any earthly adoption, we are not only adopted into the family of God, we are born into the family of God. We are born into the family of God by grace through faith in Christ. Again, I don't know how to say this more, I guess, but believers who are predestined to adoption, adoption therefore is a status that God gives to those who are born again. Adoption is for those who through faith have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. And the question this morning, which I'm pretty sure I know the answer to, is have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Are you in that family? You know, if you are, I want to tell you that even though our precious adoption came at a high cost to God, here in the text we see that it's still according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. grace. And with our adoption into His family, through Jesus Christ, comes loads and loads. The Bible says innumerable amounts of spiritual blessings. Jump down to verse 11 real quickly with me this morning. Verse 11 tells us, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. There's that, there's that phrase there, to the praise of his glory again. So not only are we adopted to God's praise, we are joint heirs to the praise of God's glory. Verse 11 again says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. That word inheritance it literally means what we think it means, a possession or a privilege. In other words, in Christ, we have obtained a possession. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. So as those, you and I, who have trusted Christ, we are not only adopted into God's family, we are predestined to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that for a moment. And, and John uh, even says this in John 17 where Jesus is praying to God in his priestly prayer. Um, he says that God loves us like he loves his own son. 
We are not only adopted, we are born into his family. Romans 8, 6, uh, 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. He didn't just allow us to come into his family. He shares his possession with us because of the incarnation, because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly heritage. God who owns the cattle upon a thousand hills chooses to bless us truly beyond comprehension through Jesus Christ. He is the God of all, and there's none like him. And if he is the God of all, and there's none like him, then there's none, nothing like our inheritance. We can't compare it to anything else. Our heritage is divine. If we were to compare it to a, a modern retirement plan, it would be the only plan that I think we wouldn't have to play, uh, pay into, uh, not even a dime. And nor could we lose that inheritance based on some volatile stock market. It is secure. In fact, it would be the only plan that we'd be invested in right from the start. As soon as you become a member of God's family, it's a great plan. It's a divine plan. It's God's plan. Peter put it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. So to the praise of God's glory, we have an eternal, incorruptible, and an undefiled inheritance reserved for us in heaven. You remember in the Bible where um, Solomon was on his throne and he had many riches and, and many things, you know, the Bible goes at length to tell us how rich and how much God blessed Solomon. But if you remember when the queen of Sheba, she actually heard many things about him and she finally got to visit him. And you remember what she said? She said, the half has not been told. All that I heard nothing, didn't, come, didn't compare to what I saw. And 1 Corinthians 2.9, the Bible tells us that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God has something great for us, more than we can ever imagine. And while we can't fathom on our own the greatness of heaven, the greatness of God, Jesus himself really gave us a glimpse of our future there in John 14. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there, there you may be also. Many times when I read that, we, I, I wonder what our inheritance will look like. You know, I wonder if I can be near my wife's mansion, you know, maybe a little add-on to the side, you know, a little, little shack there maybe. Uh, we don't know, but we know that God's preparing something for us. And if you think about what that might look like, we have really no idea. But if God created the world in six days, what is that going to look like? I mean, he's working on that for a number of years Whatever he has in store for us, it's going to be greater than anything we could ever imagine. Anything that we can see in this fallen, sin-cursed world. And on top of all the things that we see, the greatest thing is his presence there with us. There with us forever. I like the, the passage there in Psalm 84, verse 10. If you've been reading through the book of Psalms, it said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a butler in heaven than anything down here on earth. 
Praise God for that. Back, and then we move back to Ephesians. We see that there is at least one more, I think, application from the text about God's inheritance before we move on to another one. Notice uh, our next point here. Notice verse 18. Paul here is praying for the Ephesians that their eyes be opened. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, here's, here's the part. Up until this point in my sermon, I was putting it together, but this is the one that really got a hold of me. This passage here. I don't know if you noticed those last few words. It's his inheritance in the saints. God's inheritance. It's not focusing on us anymore. It's focusing on, on God. So as mind-boggling as it may be, we are God's inheritance. We treasure him because he first treasured us. Through the cross, God inherits us. We are his treasure. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, so that we can show forth praises to him. But Peter is actually quoting an Old Testament, uh, Old Testament passage there in Exodus 9, or 19 rather, verse 5, what Moses says, or God to Moses, ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. That they were God's treasure above all people. I can't get over that, that we are... His treasure. Don't let anybody ever tell you in this world, whether you're a young person or an old person, whatever it may be, that you are not worthy. You are God's treasure. God says different. God says that we may not deserve an ounce of grace, but we have individual value in God. We all mean something to Him collectively and individually. The 99 and the 1, we all mean something to God. I mean, think about the impact of that truth. Let me put it in a different way. Where does Jesus say our heart is? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is God's treasure? In us. We are God's treasure. His heart is here. His heart is with you. If I can put it another way, we mean the world and more to God. We are something to God, even though at the same time we're nothing. We are God's treasure. God thinks the world of us. You know, it's easy to see that the relationship between God the Son and God the Father is the greatest relationship between man and God. But John 17, again, in this passage here with Exodus and helping us out, we see that we have the relationship like that as well between God the Son and God the Father because we are the children of God. We are his treasure. Again, God loves us as much or as equal to as he loves his only begotten son. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I like this this passage here, going through Ephesians and other places. It says things like, according to God's grace, or according to his mercy, or according to his riches, and, and so forth like that. Not out of his grace. Not out of his riches. Not if you, if you phrase it, that's how we would phrase it. I will give you some money out of my account because when I give you money out of my account, my numbers go down. Well, if I give according, if God gives accordingly, His grace doesn't end. It's always, it's eternal. God is eternal. God loves us out of His heart according to the same love that He loves His, own, His only begotten Son. Yes, we have an eternal, 
an eternal inheritance waiting for us in heaven, but we are his eternal inheritance. And this, all that, to the wonderful praise of God's glory. And if you think that this inheritance and our intrinsic value only applies to believers, I think you'd be half right because God is not willing that any should perish. He wants to inherit, he wants to inherit all people. As believers, we are adopted into his family to the praise of his glory, and we are inherited to the praise of his glory. And then notice verses 13 and 14 quickly this morning. Paul writes, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. We are sealed to the praise of God's glory. So not only do we receive an inheritance through adoption into God's family by Jesus Christ, but God chooses to seal the deal, if you will, for eternity in this life with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, personally, I don't know how to get my head around that. I don't know how to convey that great of a truth. I don't think any preaching can give this enough emphasis that God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, decides to dwell within earthly man into this tomb of clay, if you were, this, this house of clay. And without being irreverent and from a human perspective, we who are in Christ, I think, clearly get the better deal of this inheritance. From God allowing us to enter into his family exclusively by faith, even rejecting. I mean, what, what a great salvation. God says, come by faith, and you're not even allowed to bring any of those works. I will not accept any works. It's only by faith. He rejects the works. We must come by faith. So from that and moving to giving us eternal life is really beyond us. It's beyond me. I mean, think about, think about the love of God the caring of God, the incarnation of God. Think about the cross, the grave, the conquering of death, the refusal to ever to never leave us or forsake us. It's, it's really, can I say, pleasantly overwhelming. And in addition to all of that, he chooses to live here. He chooses to be a part of us. He chooses to seal us with the Holy Spirit, to impart himself to take up residence within the heart of his children. We can't do that for our children. God can do that for his. 2 Peter 1.4 states that God has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, get this now, you might be partakers of the divine nature, a partaker of God's nature. And while being a divine partaker of God's divine nature is a most wonderful and exciting truth, Part of the thrust in this passage here, I think, is the sealing of that Holy Spirit. The Greek word used there for seal is just like, just like what it sounds, a seal, as in what uh, certain authorities back in, the, back in the day. Y'all remember Corey Meyer coming here? He has a friend that they always mail letters back and forth. I mean, even to this day where they get a little seal. I think I've shared it before, and they got the little, you remember that as well? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, but that's what, that's what this word here. And even during Paul's day, the Roman seal was, no, no surprise, the most powerful seal in the world, humanly speaking, because it was backed by who? The full power and credit of the Roman, Roman Empire. 
But think about this. When Christ was crucified, the Bible states at the end of Matthew that Pilate sent those soldiers, right? And what did they do to that tomb? They sealed it with the Roman seal. But to the praise of God's glory here, according to Ephesians, the Roman seal was no match for the power of God. And God walked out of that tomb and believers walked in. So, so much for Rome's seal. But to the praise of his glory, the seal of the Holy Spirit, rather, is the one that we are sealed with. And it cannot be broken because it represents an almighty God, the power of an almighty God. In other words, our salvation, and I think this is an, it's, it couldn't be more important to understand. Salvation by itself is, 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 is important, but to know it is eternal is just as important, I think. Our salvation is secure as God's existence. Our salvation is sure. Our adoption is sure. And in context, our inheritance is sure. It has been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there are many who believe that a true child of God can lose his or her salvation, but God here inspired Paul to use some pretty strong language here in Ephesians chapter 1, saying otherwise. The truth of the matter is that we did nothing to earn our salvation. Why can we do anything to keep it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. We are not saved by God's grace and then preserved by our works. It doesn't work that way. Remember again what Peter wrote. He says, we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and one that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven. If it's something that we could lose, it would say you have inheritance that is um, maybe incorruptible if you live right. Or maybe it's undefiled if you live an undefiled life. Well, we know those things can't be true. But we have an incorruptible inheritance, an undefiled inheritance, and it's reserved for you. And maybe a side note here, make sure you make a reservation. You know, we talked about that before. It's more than, you know, there's a couple of those there's restaurants over in, in, in Hawaii, right? You can walk down the street and there's this long line. I'm talk about the shave ice ones because you can just wait in line for those. But the ones that need reservations, and you can wait in the line, you can get up in there, they'll tell you, you can't come in. You don't have a reservation. And you can't go into that fancy restaurant. Well, heaven is kind of similar to that. We need to make sure, we have to call ahead, if you will, call upon the name of the Lord so you can be saved and have a seat there waiting for you so you can have this incorruptible inheritance. You know, there is nothing in the entirety of Scripture that bases our adoption or our basic inheritance on how we perform in this life. It's important how we live, don't get me wrong, but our adoption and our inheritance is not a part of that. It's all by grace, and it's all according to the praise of His glory. It's not of works, because we would all boast, as Ephesians tells us in chapter 2. I mean, think about this. Why would God call the life that He gives us again eternal? Why would He refer to our salvation as a birth? Why would He adopt us into His own family through Christ? Why would he give us an undefiled inheritance that we could defile with our own works? And on and on and on, you can ask those questions. But to the praise of God's glory, he didn't. It's all undefiled and incorruptible. Furthermore, verse 14 tells us this, that he chooses to seal us with the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our redemption. I hope that catches your attention. I've mentioned this a couple of times here before, but we who are the chosen, the blessed, the redeemed, are given the earnest. He chooses to give us a down payment, if you will. Now, we know the, down, the, the definition of that earnest. Many of us have probably even ad- used that, that terminology before. It is an advance payment used as a security 
to show the seriousness of the promise of full payment, right? They're usually non-refundable. God chose to show the security of his promise by giving us a part of him, a part of his Holy Spirit. And even in our financial culture, again, earnest money is, again, non-refundable. How much more sure is the earnest of the Holy Spirit? We have eternal life. To the praise of God's glory, we have eternal life. We are sealed unto the praise of God's glory. We are joint heirs unto the praise of God's glory. We are adopted into his family to the praise of God's glory. You know, there is really truly much to give God praise for. Even as we look at this world and and maybe the situation we are in, whether it's family, whether it's work, or whatever it may be, we have a whole lot more things that should drown out the world to praise God for. This should be what we focus on. Much to praise God, and he is worthy. You know, that American preacher there that I, that I started off with there in 1702, as he wrote those things, he really could not see, nor can we, what God had in store for his church. He couldn't see the future, so he focused on what God did in the past. And he wrote, about those, he wrote those words as if the best days were behind him. Well, again, we cannot see the future either. We cannot see what trials are around the corner. We can't see the tribulations or maybe even the end of the tribulation that we're in. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.13 states that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But we serve a God who does know the end. We serve a God who is the Alpha and Omega. We serve a God who is not willing that any should perish. And He too desires revival. I would say He desires a revival more than we do in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. God wants revival. And while revival certainly does begin with him, he uses us. It's for us. God doesn't need revival. We need revival. He uses us. He uses willing vessels. I heard um, a famous revivalist by the name of R.A. Torrey, someone, someone once asked him, he's like, what do you, what's needed for revival? And he gave a number of answers, of course, but the first one he says, we just need a handful of people to get thoroughly right with God. Just a handful of people to get thoroughly right with God. And that's all we need. We can always get closer. God wants willing vessels so that we can have revival. We have a guest preacher coming um, next week, and we have, you've been blessed by guest preachers for the last month. Um, God is doing something. Let him do something great in your hearts so we can do something great through him in this community. You know, none of the worlds or none of the events in this world today take him by surprise. He doesn't watch the news. He doesn't need the news. He knows what's going on. And as born-again believers, because we have been adopted into God's family to the praise of God's glory, because we've been made joint heirs with Christ according to the praise of His glory, and because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit according to the praise of His glory, we can live a life that brings God great glory. These three truths alone, many, many more, are more than enough for us to live out a life that brings praise to the glory of God. I will close with this passage. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.